But it's just airplanes, so it's not, it's it's, not really no this is This is the best seat now. It's, it's got a runway in the front yard. <laughs> How's the weather there, guys? <laughs> the weather, the weather is—I uh, don't know. We're, you're you're just trying to rub it in here that Florida is nicer, right? Yeah, That's what you. I I, I I do, yeah. yeah. I admit it. I yeah, admit it's it. been but beautiful. Don't, but don't tell anybody. No, it's been beautiful up here at Lookout Point. We had two high seventy-degree days, which I know you're going to laugh at, Jeb. But uh, for New Hampshire, that's awesome. Um, that's in, good sleeping weather here in, in, in mid <laughs> okay all right all right uh i like this airplane this is an airplane that jack would fly okay you see this, this is uh, not a jet this is not an airplane well okay it's not an airplane it's a it's a, a gyro it's a not a gyro, an aircraft a, an aircraft a multi-copter a, a, a strictly speaking they call it a volocopter right volocopter vc200 um, this is apparently follow-on. This is sort of the latest development of a of an aircraft that we talked about a while ago, which was a. Uh, 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 now this is a human carrying size. We're not talking like drone RC things here. Right. We're talking about an aircraft that's capable of carrying a human being, and we saw one in the past that had some I don't know eighteen or twenty little electric powered uh, props blades. Um, and the and the pilot sat on a somewhat raised seat in the middle of this whole thing, and it looked all pretty precarious to me back then. It looks like it looked like a salami slicer. Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. But now there's a new version here. This is the uh, a, a Volocopter VC200 that seems to be kind of starting to get close to being ready for prime time. Um, it looks really good. Yeah, it's a nice looking aircraft. It's got a kind of traditional looking fuselage kind of uh, uh, structure um, hanging below this plane. This uh, I'll call it a plane, as in a you know flat flat uh, um, part of the structure that has uh, somewhat uh, eight or ten or so uh, uh, electric. Somewhere parts. around sixteen. That many. Sixteen, oh, really? I think it is. Yeah, and. Uh, it's 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 looking nice to me. I'm I'm tempted. I'd be tempted to fly this thing. I, I kind of like this design. And uh, <coughs> and and this video that we're looking at is actually a flight test. I don't know. They they seem to claim it's the first manned flight, and maybe it was. But uh, it's uh, and they did a relatively low uh, uh, hover and travel across a field. And, and they picked the biggest guy in the county to yeah. <laughs> make make that first man flight. Guys the guys built like a, a linebacker for the NFL or something. Well I, I guess that's to the aircraft's credit, I guess. I, I would agree. I, I would agree. The the other thing I saw in this was uh when the when the pilot just released the joystick and all this is joystick. There's no uh cyclic or, or anything like that. I don't right. know exactly you know how all that works, but um it's just a joystick and, and when he released the joystick the, the aircraft just hovered. Right. It's uh, Yeah, it apparently has some sort of stabilization built into yeah. it, which is a good thing. I personally think it ought to go back to more traditional uh, rotorcraft controls, but uh, with a cyclic and a... And a uh, I, I don't know why. Uh, really? Because, yeah, they've got this all dialed down into one stick with electronic fly-by-wire controls. And if you look at some of the shots in there, you'll notice that he's, yawing the aircraft around by twisting the stick and no i don't think there's any rudder pedals in it so he twists the stick and it yaws around pushes the stick left and right for shallow banks uh i I don't know where the throttle is or whether he just pulls back and it adds power and goes up but it seems to be very well controlled and very well coordinated with that single stick that we can see Yeah. yeah 
So um, I, I kind of like it. I, I yeah. and, and you know the fact that it's self-stabilized, it appears to be self-stabilized, is a plus because that's always seems to me that one of the big challenges of learning to fly rotorcraft is that it's a balancing act that is is manually done. But uh, particularly with helicopters, yes. Uh, right. Well, stabilized is always it, better than unstabilized. Right. Yeah. Right. But right. I, it would fit in the. It would fit in the park across the street from me, and I think I could get it into my meadow right next door. I, I think you so. Could. Yeah, I'd fly it. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of cool. Kind of cool. The uh, Volo. I'm sorry. What was it called again? The Volocopter. Volocopter. Volocopter VC200. I'm not looking at the video right now because I dare not open it on my computer. But uh, it's. I looked at it earlier, and it's pretty cool. Pretty cool. Okay. So see, there is something good coming out of drone technology, right? Yeah. It's well, uh, you know, as long as it stays out of the way of uh, other aircraft. Oh yeah, well, I, I, we'll I, come. I'm, but we'll that's 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 a manned aircraft. That that's a totally different uh, kettle of fish compared to the uh, the multi-copter drone aircraft yes. that seem to be the root of so many problems. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and what I'm talking about is the technology coming out of drones is maybe starting to uh, be applied more to a human-carrying aircraft, which I think could be a good thing. Mm-hmm. Anyways. Hey, welcome, folks, to Uncontrolled Airspace. The uh, I almost forgot the name of the podcast. That's almost... I'm thinking, wait a minute, is that the right word? Uncontrolled Airspace, the general aviation podcast. Wait, 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 wait. What? Have you been seeing other podcasts? <laughs> As a matter of fact, I have. Um, but uh, that's another story for another day. Um, welcome, folks. I'm, uh, <laughs> this is Jack Hodgson. I'm coming to you from high atop Lookout Point in beautiful Nottingham, New Hampshire, where it's been beautiful, but it's going to rain today. But uh, that's okay. It's warm. It's nice. And uh, it's uh, Friday afternoon here, and we're, we're anticipating the arrival of all sorts of family here. Um, Lookout Point, uh, for people who may be not following this, Lookout Point is actually a, it's a family home. A summer Once upon a time, it was a summer home. Now it's a year-round home that's shared by all my brothers and sisters. And uh, as the weather gets nicer and the weekends happen, um, everybody gathers, and we have a good old time. And so I've got all kinds of family inbound for the weekend, and uh, um, it's going to be fun. It's going to be nice. Good. Good. We're talking with my uh, two good friends in our virtual hangar. Uh, one of those voices out there is uh, Jeb Burnside, talking to us from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. How you doing, Jeb? I'm doing well. Weather here is uh, warm and, and breezy. Uh, very pleasant day. Um, getting trying to get some stuff done and uh, just having a good week. Very nice. We're winding winding up a good week. Yep. Yep. So uh, you just got back from big trip. I don't know if that you want to talk. Do you want to talk about that later on or now or you know? Um, let me say hi to David uh, first, and then we'll, and yeah, you, and you yeah. can decide what you want to do. Uh, my other good friend here in the virtual hangar is uh, from the air capital of the world, Wichita, Kansas. Dave Higdon. Hi, David. How are you doing? Doing wonderful. It is a spectacularly blue sky day here for like the third day in a row. Uh, temperate, light winds, great day to go flying. Yeah. The, the gray skies in your neighborhood right now have to do with your computer and or internet connection. Maybe people may notice that J, that Dave is on his uh, is on a on a cell phone right now um, because uh, Skype was fighting us once again. So uh, that's why Dave sounds a little bit different. But we can hear you just fine, and everything's going to be fine and hunky dory and whatnot. Um, we, uh, I'm glad because if if it was just hunky, I would not be dory. <laughs> 
We, uh, it's been a crazy, uh, I don't know, two weeks, three weeks uh, in uncontrolled airspace land. I'll tell you, boy, it, we, we just had so much fun over the last couple of weeks, and I just wanted to kind of revisit it and, and tell you guys what, what a lot of fun it was for me. We did uh, episode 400 um, from uh, All Went Flying and, uh, in, in Jeb's Debonair. Thanks for, for hosting us on that, Jeb. That was my pleasure. And, uh, it was that a lot was a, of fun. That was a great day, and uh, we didn't know what we were going to get when we decided to wire up some audio recorders and, and go flying but i think it came out pretty nice and and uh, we're getting some nice comments from listeners on it i don't know if you guys have chance, had a chance to listen to any of it yet but uh it uh it came out well and uh yeah i started in on it i just i haven't gotten very far but uh, yeah, yeah I'm, enjoy- I'm enjoying it actually. yeah no it's nice it's uh it's uh, it's pretty interesting the way it uh you know, we've got uh, it's a combination of you know what you would hear flying, talking to ATC, uh, and but then seeing the sights and then talking about other things, and uh, um, it and it came out to be so much good material that uh, um, it split it into two episodes. So there's a 400 Alpha and a 400 Bravo out there. David, do you so that would be a very very special episode. Yeah, I know, very very times two, very special. Uh, so. Uh, both those episodes, both those editions uh, are are on the, in the feed right now in this in the uh, UCAP feed, and people are listening to them. Then we did about uh, we did Foxtrot worth of uh, of uh, UCAP dailies from Sun and Fun this year, um, and that was great. Uh, we just did a whole bunch of, of dailies, uh, and then did two full blown episodes. Uh, the first first full length episode uh, has been on the in the feed for some time now, and the second one is getting finished up right now. And we'll, we'll get although anybody who really wanted to hear it could have listened to it live on uh, on Sun and Fun Radio. So it's been a crazy month. For, live, yeah, live from the deck. Yeah, I know. So it's been fun. You want to talk about your adventure for just a minute, Jeb? Yeah, uh, I, I I presume we've talked about uh, other trips like to Singapore and whatnot. Yeah. Now, I should okay. just give us some context here. Um, people noticed that Jeb uh, disappeared halfway through Sun and Fun, and that's because he had to go off and go on an adventure, which was? Which was a uh, round trip to, uh, thankfully, uh, to uh, Shanghai. Shanghai, for, China. Uh, yeah. Shanghai, China, for A-Base, the uh, Asian Business Aviation uh, Convention and Exposition. Um Doing that for uh, AIN's uh, convention news uh, uh, publication. Had another great time. Um, kind of an arduous journey there and back, but uh, once you're on the ground, things start to come together. Uh, did some good work, had some fun, uh, uh, met some interesting people, and it's all good. Yeah. Now, A Base isn't really a general aviation. Well, it's not a not a personal flying show, right? It's not a uh, you know Cessna Piper kind of show. Um, well, yeah, is yeah, it? They were yeah, both there. Well, yeah, so they were all there. Um, uh, what I'm getting at there is was a, there was an A36 Bonanza. There was an SR20 okay. um, uh, Cirrus. Um, there was actually a uh, looks like an Icon A5 knockoff, uh, Chinese design and manufacturer really? Lotax. Yeah. There's um, a joke there. Deta- I think I don't know. What detachable that is. detachable <laughs> wings. Uh, it looked pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds um, cool. Amphib with a, again with a with a, a Rotax on it. Uh huh. Um, so you know that was there. So yeah, there's there was certainly personal flying. There was a, a two seat uh, helicopter, not an R twenty two, and it, that helicopter, as I recall, also had an autonomous mode. It would carry people as well as uh, uh, really? the autonomous thing. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Um, none of this, a lot of this is you know kind of developmental. Um, 
but uh, yeah, there is so there's some uh, some what I would call light GA or or personal aviation. But the show is basically about business aviation, right. and and it's with a with an Asian flavor, with a considering the Asian environment. Isn't and, that what uh, the B and A base is business? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So exactly. Yeah, David, you've attended these kinds of shows in the past. What it's what are they like? Uh, they're. They, they they tend to be much more focused. I mean, uh, as Jeb mentioned, there's personal aircraft there at A base, and and there's a La base in Latin America coming up, and an E base in Europe coming up, uh, and a MIBA show in the Middle East uh, through the year. Uh, if uh, anyone's ever attended a National Business Aviation Association convention, uh, think the same thing on about a one fifth scale. Exactly. Uh, Smaller footprint, smaller static display, fewer vendors, but the same kind of uh, uh, high-intensity focus on using uh, aircraft for business and personal transportation. And the idea behind them was to uh, uh, help build the business aviation infrastructure and participation outside North America where it's the largest market. So they added eBase first, then they went to Latin America, and as China began to uh, move uh, more and more uh, firmly toward building airports and opening up airspace to uh, private users, uh, they launched the uh, the eBase actually about 10 years ago, but it uh, got relocated, reorganized about five years ago when they moved it to Shanghai, and uh, it seems to have taken off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, very yeah. cool. So you had fun, Jeb. You, uh, you yeah, know. absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And uh, any any uh, quick stories about life in China? I mean, is it was it, you know? Uh, internet sucks. Um, <laughs> Google's, <laughs> Google's unavailable. Yeah. Um, everything that you type into uh, another search engine, uh, there's always a delay getting back a response because you know the computer has to digest it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, exactly. The, the, great, the great firewall has to consider it exactly for Exactly right, yeah. So, um, somebody's phone is ringing. That must be David. Yeah, sorry about that. That's okay. I'm just going to let it stop. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Yeah, Jeb, I'm sorry. Anyway, so, yeah, I mean, I, it was a good time. I'd do it again in a heartbeat. It was a good show this year. Um, and, uh, again, met some interesting people. A couple of them I'm having trouble reconnecting with because my emails back to them continue to bounce for spam content. So, yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's all of a piece. Uh, I had a way. very frustrating, but, similar kind of really situation. I'm, I'm sympathetic. Yes, I'm sympathetic. Well, cool. Well, welcome so, home. Yeah. yeah, thank you. Thank welcome you. home. And, uh, I, you know, hopefully you get to rest up before your next 14-hour airline flight. Oh, yeah, I know. Oh. Well, I just can't even imagine. I can barely tolerate seven hours across America. It's just, oh, wow. Well, you, you, you just sleep through most of it or drink heavily and... and and, uh, I guess uh, eventually it ends. Yeah, I guess prescription medication might be the answer. I don't know. But uh, anyways, hey, we got a couple of uh, off-field landings of the week here. Uh, a bunch of things on the list this week are this time I should say are have been stored up since before um, Sun and Fun. So I don't know exactly when this was, but uh, first one is a. Uh, uh, from the Miami Herald website, a small jet makes emergency landing in uh, the Everglades in Broward. Uh, Broward's what, like a, a town, a county in Florida? Right? Broward County, yeah. Broward it's county. north of uh, yeah. Miami-Dade. 
Uh, a small jet with two people on board made an emergency landing Wednesday night in the Everglades near Sawgrass Recreation Park, according to Broward Sheriff Fire and Rescue. So, uh, yeah, this is a, uh, what is this, like an L-19 or something like that? It's an L-39. L-39, excuse me. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a check. Two-place uh, 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 trainer jet. Two-place single-engine training, training jet, yeah. It's become very popular in, in civilian circles. Uh, and, right. Uh, um, and and, and it's, the picture here shows it parked on what appears God, to be one of these God, levee roads, right? God made a beautiful landing. I'm I just, mean, I'm just shocked and impressed. Yeah, uh, that he kept this on the on the on the uh, levee. Yeah. Just amazing, very, amazing very uh, airmanship. Very yeah. impressive. I, now, it, I, this this story is very small, and I haven't done any research to see if there's any follow-on stories here, but. Uh, I wonder how they got it out. Is uh, um, probably had to take the wings off and, and truck it out and put it on a truck or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Insurance company probably would have paid for it, but well, and, uh, and plus, you know, I don't know. Do these things operate well off of gravel strips? Because that's basically what he's on right now. I mean, actually, that particular jet is uh, is is well suited for for let's say less than perfect uh, runways. So. I wouldn't want to put it into gravel necessarily, but it uh, it it'd come off that road all right if there's space. Right. But that's that's the hook. Uh, those levees down there don't tend to run long, continuous straight lines like this roads in Kansas. So uh, when I've landed ultralights on levees down in Florida in the past, we only needed about 300 feet to get up. Uh, I think he'd take a little more than that. And then they can't be kind of an involved removal because I noticed the article said that rescuers had to get to them by airboat. Yeah, that's the other thing. I mean, clearly the cheaper expedient would be to fly it out. But uh, and, and, you know, he's got enough runway to land it. How much more runway does he need to take it off? I don't know. It would be really interesting to, to find out if they flew it out of there. Um, but uh, uh, without calling the company and playing 20 questions, that's probably not going to happen. Yeah, sorry, I was just doing a yeah, search here. Go ahead, David. It, it, it's, always, it's always intriguing me how uh, some airplanes can be can be landed in much smaller spaces than they can be taken off from. Oh, yeah. And, uh, oh, yeah. And that, I think we may be looking at one of those situations there I, I th- without so, you know, looking at the POH. I think so, too. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, good, great job. Here's a story. This is another version. So this is from the Sun Sentinel. Let me see if I can send you guys this link here. Uh, there you go. You should have a, a URL now, and I will read it while you guys are looking at it here. SunSentinel.com uh, uh, website, which I believe is a newspaper down there in the area. Um, headline is, quoting, um, It was the miracle on the levee, end quote. Couple who landed jet in Everglades, grateful to be alive. The story says, Flight instructor Gary Salkovitz was preparing to land a retired military jet at Fort Lauderdale Executive Airport when he heard an unusual noise and then they trucked silence. it out. Yeah. He says, yeah, it, he says it and I became a glider, said Sulkowitz, who somehow with his wife Lois in the seat beside him, behind him, uh, no, it actually says beside him, but it's not, <clears throat> I don't believe that's the way that airplane's configured, landed no. the fixed-wing uh, single-engine jet without power on a remote levee in the Everglades Wildlife Management Area um, just before sunset on March 16. So, uh, that's quite a picture. Yeah, uh, the, the uh, rig that they're using to lift it out. Oh, okay. My my my, yeah. uh, my ad blocker is blocking that picture, so I can't see it. What's the picture? Describe it to me. 
Well, it looks like they removed the wings and the tail uh-huh. and put it in a cradle. Uh, the fuselage with the uh, engine section still intact. Uh, took the wings off of it, uh, folded the nose gear up, put it in a uh, steel support cradle, and then lifted it out with a crane. That's the miracle on the levee. Yeah. Getting really, it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know about this guy, but when uh, when we had our Cherokee and Air Comanche, we had a an add-on to our hull insurance. Uh, I think it cost something like 10 or 20 bucks a year. And it was strictly for the event that you landed someplace with no damage that you couldn't take off from. Right. It was exactly for this. And the policies both uh, for both airplanes would pay up to $5,000 to have the airplane disassembled and moved and reassembled at a location where it could be flown again. It was one of the least expensive add-ons I'd ever seen for insurance. And it always felt good flying around knowing that I had it because I knew there were fields that if something went wrong, I knew I could get the airplane down into a small field that I could not take it off from again. Mm-hmm. Not wood, it never happened, but not in those airplanes, but... It was a comforting little add-on to the insurance policy that would save the guy considerable bucks on this airplane if he had it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that he did. Well, that, this, is, this is a big buck operation. Yeah, if you if you can afford to own and operate a L-39, um, you know, you don't have quite the same kind of sensitivity to expense that... It might might have been a little more expensive premium, but I'm and because I, I imagine it cost five grand just to get the wing taken off, yeah. but yeah. let alone moving a rig in there to uh, lift it out and put it on a barge and take it back home. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And then this other uh, off-field landing of the week. Uh, this one didn't end quite as 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 nicely, although there were no fatalities. No, um, but uh, uh, plane lands on the roof of building after encountering dra- downdraft. All right. Now, normally I'd suspect that headline, but it's from uh, General Aviation News, and uh, those guys know that no airplanes. So uh, we're gonna. We're... Well, and this is a report from March of fourteen. Uh, March of sixteen is the one I'm looking at. The owner of a recent no go all the way to the bottom oh, last okay. paragraph. Okay, the story is dated Dateline, but uh, oh, I see. Oh, I see. They're recapping a uh, an NTSB report. Okay, all right. As, as an educational tool. Yeah, that's right. They do that as a, they they do that on a regular basis. No, you're, I thank you. I thank you for pointing that out. Um, owner of a recently purchased 65 horsepower Kit Fox Two was undergoing tailwheel endorsement training. He and the flight instructor had previously flown the plane about nine hours for about two hours each time with no problems noted they'd begun the flight about an hour earlier the wind was from the west they were landing and taking off on a single runway towards the north um jumping ahead here after touch and go landings plane 300 400 feet above the ground um it stopped climbing uh pilot checked the power was at maximum they again i'm paraphrasing here a little bit um kept losing altitude cfi took over the airplane uh was going to land it on a road but saw cars on the road so instead instead set it down on the roof of a uh of a build of a industrial supply building, um, um, I, I would only imagine a relatively large one. Although, well flown, a Kit Fox does Kit Fox doesn't need incredibly too much space. But it did apparently land pretty hard, and resulted in two serious injuries. It says here. Um, so uh, 
but they got down on the ground safely, and uh, that's a good thing. And uh, I don't know if I would, you know. And that is landing on the roof of. A I'm building, sorry. Go ahead, Jeb. Landing on the roof of a building. I, I, I guess if that's what you got, that's what you work with, you know. But uh, it's it's got to be daunting. And that is a terrible, terrible feeling to be in an aircraft at full power and have the air more powerful down than you are going up. Oh, okay. Yeah. Been there, done that. Have you? I never have. What, yes. I mean, what, what, what were the circumstances for, for each of you? David, what, give me an example of how that happens. What, what, what were you doing? Uh, Annie and I had taken the Cherokee uh, to uh, Axe County, North Carolina, so I could show her around some old haunts. And uh, the day we left, there was a, a about a 40, 45 knot wind on the far side of the mountain in front of us. And uh, runway, if memory serves, is about 3,200 MSL, and the mountain in front of us was 5,000. And we got just above the top of the mountain and hit head-on winds of about 65 knots. And the airplane would no longer climb. It was going forward very slowly. And then it started to come down very slowly mm-hmm. and uh, added a notch of flap so I could slow it down a little bit more without stalling. That arrested the descent. But then we held our breath and we cleared the mountain by less than 500 feet, mm-hmm. which is way less than my comfort zone. But the idea of trying to turn around and go back to the airport, as turbulent as the departure was, uh, was a no-go. Yeah. So as long as we were going to clear it, you know, what's the line? A miss is as good as a mile. Yeah, uh, we like only that, missed it by about 500 feet, but uh, it, it, it was 495 feet more than absolutely necessary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jeb, what was your situation? Yeah, I think some some mountain flying guys like Mike Carter are going to be pounding on their iPod right about now. But, <laughs> um, uh, mine was similar and also occurred in North Carolina. I was uh, flogging a 160 horsepower Skyhawk um, and uh, had uh, what was then the whole fam family aboard um, coming out of Asheville, North Carolina, headed, heading back to the D.C. area and uh, was level at 9,000 feet, uh, headed northeast. And got into a downdraft enough, I think it was Mount, whatever it is, the, the large mountain there. Uh, I was just kind of sort of downwind of it and got into a mountain wave thing. And I had uh, full power uh, for 9,000 feet in a Skyhawk, and a 160-horse Skyhawk. Full power pitched to uh, best uh, rate of climb, and I'm descending at 500 feet per minute. Um, and um, I turned... Uh, basically told center that I was um, uh, descending uh, against my will. I said, I can't, we can't maintain altitude here. Um, and uh, I don't know if, if um, I don't know which came first, the clearance to turn to the east or the act of turning to the east. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, but I turned, turned to the east to get out of that downdraft, made a 90-degree turn, basically, um, to get out of it, and got out of it and uh, leveled... Um, Basically flew uh, a few more miles to the east, climbed back up to 9,000, and, and motored on home. Yeah. But that's the last time I've flown a 160-horsepower airplane on a cross-country. <laughs> what, uh, Jeb, what gave you the insight to realize that turning east was the way to go? 
I had to get out of the flow. Right. But I mean, uh, so was it just 50 50 you flipped a coin or? No, I didn't want to turn um, north or to the to the west because there's higher terrain there. Ah, okay. it, the, the lower terrain was to the east okay. and to the southeast. Um, and the main thing I wanted to do, though, was get out of it was like a current of air. It was like a current in, in the ocean or in a river. Sure. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to get out of that current of air. And the most expeditious way to do so would, as was at a right angle. Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. Well, congratulations to both of you and the uh, pilot of this uh, Kit Fox for uh, for managing to uh, make it through this bad situation. It's uh, it's a thing, but you got to fly the airplane. Yeah. You yeah. keep, keep got to fly the airplane. Keep flying the airplane. As as um, um, I think it's Bob Hoover says, fly it all the way through the wreck. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's that's exactly right. That's what, I, and and you know, that's a much more colorful way of putting it. But I've had, I had an instructor one time a long time ago said said if you're going down, he said just make sure you keep flying. He said two things. He says try not to hit anything, and you know, like a mm-hmm. tree or a building, mm-hmm. and fly the airplane until it stops moving. Yeah, um, exactly right. And uh, you know, and you know, you might you probably be okay. All right. What do we got here? Jeb, you got a, you got a buddy of yours is doing something outstanding here. A buddy of mine is doing something very cool. Yeah. Um, what, tell us who this is and what he's doing. Well, Adrian Icorn, I, I, I know him as Al and, and kind of a shorthand between us for a variety of things. But uh, Adrian Icorn, who's a longtime friend of mine, uh, has a uh, 62 model Bonanza, a P model Bonanza. It's a V-tail. Um, Al is one of the most uh, um, talented, motivated people I've ever met. Um, he's uh, an airline transport pilot. He holds uh, ATP ratings, CFII uh, ratings. Uh, he's an AMP and an IA. Um, and uh, over the, I'm going to say last four years or so, uh, for any number of reasons, or at least any number of reasons uh, to start with, he has basically rebuilt his Bonanza. The wings have been off. The wings have been apart. The fuselage has uh, uh, numerous upgrades. Um, the, ba- the airplane's basically been, re- including the engine, basically been rebuilt uh, over this time. Um, new paint, uh, new avionics, uh, all kinds of stuff that he's done all by himself. I won't say all by himself, but he's done himself. He hasn't really right. shipped anything out to a shop or anything. And then as re- and, and and now that's and, led and, him to go on a singular adventure here. Exactly. And there, there were some other factors involved in making the decision to do this adventure, but he is flying solo, pretty much. Uh, he's had a passenger for a couple of legs. Uh, but the rest of his trip will be solo around the world. Around the world, yeah. He he made uh, made Europe in in two hops uh, uh, over the Azores, um, and uh, he's been in uh, Frederikshafen uh, for that air show uh, for several days. I won't say a week or so, but several days. And today or tomorrow is due to leave. Um, I think he's stopping off in either Greece and or Egypt. And then it's um, uh, the rest of East, East Asia, or, or the rest of Asia, and across the Pacific, and uh, uh, home sometime next month. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very, very cool. Um, he's uh, done, a, as I say, a lot of work on the airplane. One of the things he did was add what those in the Bonanza community call Dolly Partons. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Which are 100 gallon a piece um, tip tanks. So they're 
They're a rather large diameter and uh, uh, as, as long as, uh, uh, well, at least six feet long because they're, they're taller than Adrian. Uh, so uh, added those to the airplane. Um, and they call, uh, them Dolly Parton. they call them Dolly Partons because their performance is absolutely musical, right? That's what they No. That's... Um, sure. <laughs> that's, um, not my understanding of the way, the reason they're called Dolly Partons, but, uh, uh, it's, it's, the whole thing is just phenomenal. I, I, I happened to just kind of on a, on a lark, uh, dial his cell phone, um, a couple of nights ago and damn if he didn't answer. Really? Uh, yeah. and, and, uh, he was, he was in Germany. He was in a hotel in Germany. Flying, he was getting ready to, to turn flying. in for bed. Flying you know, around the world is not what it used to be. You know? uh, it's not as isolated uh, as it used to be. Somebody, but he's got try, a web. Somebody ought to try calling Amelia Earhart's cell phone. See what happens. Yeah, well, there you go. There you go. Uh, and I, he and I joke um, a lot of jokes uh, about this trip. For example, I said, you know, Al, do you, do you, do you realize that you and Amelia Earhart have the same initials? <laughs> and what did, did he respond to that? And he says, he says it gets better than that. He says, I'm planning to leave on the day the Titanic sailed. <laughs> so, and I said, and I said, I well, can... yeah, that plus, you know, the color of your airplane is just about the same color as ocean water when looked at from from a search airplane. <laughs> so I think it's and safe says, to say yeah. that. Go ahead, Jeb. I'm sorry. He, say, he says, yeah. He says, I painted the 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 wing the paint the tip tanks white. Painted them white so they look like white caps. <laughs> so I think it's safe to say that Al Icorn is not superstitious. Is what you're getting at? Well, no, he's not. He's not. And and but um, amazing guy. He's a he's a first officer for uh, JetBlue, fl- riding on the A320. Uh, used to be um, uh, in the Hangar Six operation at uh, the FAA's uh, uh, operation there at Washington National Airport. He's flown corporate uh, um, for Washington Redskins owner uh, Danny Snyder. Um, he's just done a lot of things in his life, and this is just the latest adventure. And I'm I'm very proud of him, very happy for him, and uh, can't wait to talk about it when he gets back. Yeah, very, very he, cool. he he flew November two and November three with my longtime friend Ken Papard. Exactly. Uh, exactly. When, when they were both at FAA. Uh-huh. And I, I, uh, I've been intrigued by some of the media coverage on this. Uh, remembering having lunch with you and Adrian at the Sunset Grill it's at Sun and Fun years ago. Oh, right. He was rebuilding the airplane at the time. And you, you know, we're talking about how he, part of the reason he was doing that was so he could take the slow moving vehicle sign off the back. Uh, <laughs> and you two guys going back and forth reminded me of me and you going back and forth on something. But I, uh, I, I chuckle every time I read one of these articles that says he spent the last year rebuilding this airplane last year. My Prop tips. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This has been going on for what six, seven years. It's it's been going on a while. He started this by adding, wanting to add the uh, the wide baggage door to his uh, his baggage compartment to his airframe, and um, the wide baggage door was introduced on the model subsequent to his. And had never really been retrofitted to his model. So there were a bunch of paperwork humps uh, that he had to jump through to do that. The work is meticulous. Um, 
as another mutual friend of ours and I were talking uh, in the weeks, so he, he at one point he was replacing wing panels, the upper surface wing panels in both wings, and uh, there's like you know 1,100 holes in one of those wing panels. Yeah, it took him took yeah. him three tries to get one that was perfect enough that met his standards. And it's kind of daunting when you get to like 950th hole and you screw up 951. Yeah. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it, it's been that kind of work that he's put into this airplane. Uh-huh. And uh, it, everything and he touches is ha- just phenomenal. Those have to be the biggest fracking tip tanks I have ever seen on a Bonanza. Yeah. 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 I mean, somewhere in one of these articles is a picture, or maybe it's on his website, picture of him standing next to the one of the tip tanks and it's taller than he is yeah exactly exactly the uh uh there i i hear various um various reports uh, one source tells me that there are only four sets of these tanks ever made another source would seem to indicate that there were more than that but uh they're they are rare and i know he also went through a lot of hoops to acquire these this particular pair of tanks uh, so it, it, it's it's not been an inexpensive uh, proposition for him yeah. uh, to do all this. And I noticed all the lights that you can see in some of these shots are all LEDs, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, which should reduce his worries about any one of them burning out on this trip. Exactly. Yeah. Well, we wish good luck to uh, Adrian Eichhorn, Al Eichhorn, for uh, his adventure here. And uh, um, we're going to try and... Uh, uh, try and lure him into the virtual hangar uh, after he gets back and uh, and uh, let him tell him uh, tell us a little bit about this adventure it's, it sounds great it's uh, I, I believe I believe you've introduced me to him a couple times at various events too and I, my recollection is of him being a very cool fun nice guy and uh, and clearly a great a great airplane person well if he could see me right now I'm naturally camouflaged for a, a green meadow because I'm envious as hell <laughs> what else here um did a uh, did it so is this confirmed did a drone uh hit a british airways uh, aircraft an a320 um in london recently what do we know about this story jerry are you still there uh oh wait a minute. hang on a second not a not a David's. not a heck of a lot so uh okay. All right. I hope I'm hanging up the right thing here. Okay, now. David, I can still he- speak. I can hear you. Say something, David. Uh, something, David. Okay, and Jeb, say something so I can hear you. Something so I can hear you. Okay. All right. <laughs> We're back. This is a downward slide here. This is a downward spiral. We're in a death spiral here. Now Jeb is on the now Jeb's yeah. on the telephone gonna, too. Go ahead, Jeb. I'm gonna, I'm gonna. While we're talking, I'm gonna just go ahead and surf uh, Amazon, see if I can get a, a bulk purchase of string. Yeah, I know, and and a whole bunch of tin cans. Um, uh-huh. So before we were so rudely interrupted, I was asking whether or not it's true that a drone crashed into or slammed, is the word they're using here, into a, uh, Air, a British Airways uh, Airbus A320 recently. Is this a confirmed well, what, story? What, what, no, it's not. Um, the most recent I saw was it could have been a plastic bag, uh, which tells me that uh, two things. One, uh, we still don't know. Well, three things. One, we still don't know if a drone hit the airplane. Two, um, airline pilots in the U.K. are safety-wired in the position of reporting anything they see as a drone. And three, uh, if it didn't do much damage, 
Um, and apparently it didn't, or they would be screaming bloody murder and there'd be pictures of the dent. Um, I think we need to move on. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe we'll take this one with a grain of salt. David, what's your thought on this? Well, yeah, there's such a paucity of information, of details about this, like uh, where did it hit and how big of a dent did it put in the airplane, if any, uh, any paint marks, anything like that, that would kind of, uh, kind of go toward uh, resolving the, 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 definitively resolving the yes or no question, did it? It, it could have been something else that got sucked up off the ground. I mean, uh, it's even a small dust devil can pick up a child's toy and carry it hundreds of feet in the air. But uh, I think we're getting conditioned to the idea that these are recurring around airports, busy airports. And uh, it, it's still disturbing to me. Yeah. Uh, so much information out there for the uh, for the aficionados of those aircraft that very explicitly lays out the you know don't fly near airports and it's, it's still they want to go play dodge bob and weave with uh, something many thousands of times their weight and uh, I've just got this terrible fear of an engine sucking up one of these that's just big enough to cause it to uh, power down when a when a guy's on short final in a 100,000-pound airplane. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah it, bad day for it's everybody. Going, it's, it's going to happen. It's just a matter of when and where. Um, and for all we know, it has happened, uh, you know, this report notwithstanding. But um, uh, it will happen, and uh, it will be a problem at some point. Yeah. A lot of it's, you know, a lot of the problem, though, is just education. And, and, you know, the FAA does a lot of things wrong. They do some things right. So far, you know, I give them maybe a, a C average on uh, on their education efforts uh, with respect to drones. But, uh, you know, it could well be the operator doesn't know he's that close to an airport. He probably isn't all that close to an airport. Um, uh, all things considered, but uh, he, he does he's not paying. He or she is not really paying that close attention to the flight routes. Yeah, has and, Britain uh, instituted you know, the same kinds of uh, licensing and and you know certification controls that they're trying to put in place here in the U.S.? I have no idea. Yeah, I don't know. Anyways, all right. Well, maybe this wasn't one of them, but you know, everybody be careful out there because this is going to happen eventually. I'm for, I'm afraid to say. Oh, exactly. You know. Exactly. So. Exactly. Uh, I think whether or not we are, whether we are or not, I think I'm going to declare that we're reaching the end of our allotted time. Just <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm comfy. I mean, now I can walk around. I don't have to wear a headset. Oh, I, I see. You're liking this, huh? Ah, okay. So yeah, I'm, now not, the story, I'm not turning this down. Now the story comes out. All right. Well, we do have a handful of shout-outs here. So let's move on to shout-outs, and then we'll call this thing a wrap. Um, I, a handful of shout-outs here. I'll go over the first one. Um, I want a, a big shout-out to someone who's been a great friend of the podcast for sometime mike morgan um is uh, is a longtime listener yeah. and good friend of ours and uh, a radio guy uh, who uh, has is very involved with the eaa radio uh, at the at air venture each summer and for years now has been producing uh, little audio bits for us here on the podcast a lot of the really cool disclaimer things that you hear from time to time are one of my favorites is his uh, is his uh, um 
Lost in Space one, um, and uh, he does a pretty good uh, 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 Walter Cronkite, and there's just a bunch of fun disclaimers that he's done. He also does for our appearances on EAA Radio at AirVenture, he does all the different promos there, and he, he has literally collected a library of of embarrassing things that we have said over the years, and he likes to, <laughs> he likes to edit them together into uh, little uh, little clips that. Uh, that do in fact promote the podcast and, and we love them and, and we, you know, we act like we're embarrassed. We do. And, well, I guess we are embarrassed, but we love them anyways. Um, and, uh, in, in, uh, in sort of a celebration of our episode, uh, 400 and the beginning of our 10th year here, um, I, I sort of hinted that he might want to create a special one of these and he jumped on it. He was really game for this and he put together this kind of interesting sort of, I don't know if it's rap exactly, but uh, sort of edited thing where he takes, you know, uh, uh, what's the word? Is it, there's a word for it. Um, tuning, toning. Anyways, he, he did this really cool editing job with a bunch of these little embarrassing things he we've did. said combined with the, the UCAP theme music um, and an, an introduction from Walter Cronkite. And uh, we used it at the beginning of both of the episode 400 episodes, and it'll probably appear from time to time throughout the summer. But uh, but I just yeah. wanted to make sure that, uh, that Mike Morgan uh, gets the thanks that he deserves for for this and all the things that he's done for us over the years uh, time for almost yeah. 10 my, my years and 400 for everything yeah. hang on one yep. at a time jeb go first yeah i was just gonna say times 10 and uh, mike if you're listening which you probably will be very soon uh thank you very very much it's appreciated and it's recognized yeah absolutely david oh uh almost 10 years and more than 400 episodes uh, uh I would think that there was a cure for that by now that Mike could take, but we we appreciate the fact that he's still infected. Absolutely. There you go. Absolutely. We don't have to be lost in space. I can fly the Jupiter 2 and get us back home to Earth. Warning, 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 warning. Silence, you belligerent bucket of bolts. Dr. Smith, you must not take the controls until you have received a safety briefing. Oh, all right then, go ahead. The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace Podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily represent the views of the various organizations they work with. Silence, you cantankerous clump of cogs! Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the spacecraft, uh, airplane. Are you that finished? Is all. What did you that say? That is all. Then yes, shut I up that finished. silly speaker. Oh, where is Jack Hodgson when you need him? You may proceed. All right then, here we go! Danger, 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 danger. What else? Got another shout out here? Who are you guys? Pick one. Yeah, here. I got one. Go ahead. I got one. Um,. Uh, Jamie Hildenbrandt yeah. uh, is the uh, proprietor of a maintenance uh, operation at the Albany, New York uh, International Airport. Uh, the name of the operation is Hilt, H-I-L-D-T, Aviation. Jamie uh, helped me out of a, a, a kind of a jam uh, back in March when I was up there with, a, with another person's airplane. And, uh, the, the, you know, I called in just, you know, looking around to see. I had a, had a uh, communications problem. I actually had to squawk 7600 going into, uh, going into Albany the day before. And, and uh, got up the next morning and, and called around. The first call I made was, was to his shop. 
And, uh, so, you know, I, I need to borrow a handheld mic to see if I can get one that works in this airplane, or otherwise I'm kind of dead in the water here. And uh, showed up at his shop about 30, 40 minutes later. Uh, the, he, had, he had a microphone. It was a, uh, looked like a uh, almost brand-new standard Telex uh, handheld microphone. Um, that didn't solve the problem. Um, so he basically stopped everything he was doing, paid attention to my problem, took him at least an hour and a half, probably closer to two hours of his time, that involved um, diving into his parts stash and, and uh, soldering in a new uh, push-to-talk switch for the pilot side of this airplane, and also fixing the co-pilot side push-to-talk switch. Um, doing all this out on the ramp on a weekday morning, and um, the boy would not accept any payment. None at all. Uh, and I I'm, I'm, would not accept payment. Uh, and uh, I was just flabbergasted. Um, and uh, I cannot sing Jamie's praises highly enough to, to our listeners, or to anybody else for that matter. If you're in the Albany, New York area, and you need some aircraft maintenance, I, I know exactly where you should be going. Yeah, or even just go buy um, some gas and, from him or something, you know? Or, yeah, I, I don't know that he sells fuel, but he might sell parts and, and things like that. Just, uh, you know, or, or buy him a cup of coffee, buy his, buy his crew lunch one day or something, you know, that kind of thing. And it, it, it's not so much the... You know, um, the, the operation, although his operation is just spick and span, uh, he had probably six or eight airplanes in his hangar at the time, um, crews working on, on a couple of them at a time. Everything was just spick and span. There was no oil on the floor. The floor was clean and polished. Uh, everything was professional. The paperwork, you know, everything looked good. Just a top-flight operation. But beyond that, there's this, you know, thing, and... and we talk about it. We we actually got an award for it, you know, several years ago from from EAA, talking about the spirit of aviation, the spirit of general aviation, yeah. and uh, and how um, this industry, this community, uh, looks out for each other, and uh, that's what Jamie did. He 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 was looking out for the community. He didn't know me from Adam. Doesn't know that I have a podcast with you guys. Mm -hmm. uh, although I hope he finds out really soon. Um, and I just, I just can't speak highly, more highly uh, of him. Uh, his skills, obviously, but just the, the sense of community and helping out some other pilot, some other aircraft operator in the community, uh, was just very striking to me. Yeah. And uh, he gets my shout out of the year. Absolutely, actually. very, very cool. Jamie Hillebrand uh, yeah. of Hilt Aviation, H I L D T Aviation, at uh, it's that's Albany, right? That's a uh, uh, Albany. Uh, that's the big uh, airline airport. County it is. That's the big. That's air the big airline airport in Albany, New York. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Alpha Lima Bravo. Very cool. Right. Yeah. Wander on by there. Bring them some donuts or, or buy some stuff yeah. or get some work done there. Jamie, thank you again. I really do appreciate it. Yep. Yeah. Uh, David, rather, you got a, a shout out. Yeah, uh, I'm going to snag this one from uh, from our uh, listener Steve at Crabtree Park, who uh, sent this note uh, to me, uh, and I guess you guys too, when uh, we were all down at uh, at Lakeland for sun and fun. And I'll just read it real quickly. Uh, this is shout out Steve at Crabtree Park. His note says, "I listened to advice on your podcast and landed at Dead Cow last week." We were on a cross-country adventure from Wisconsin to New Mexico in a Skyhawk and needed a place to overnight. 
Dead Cow was pretty cool, and the people there were great, so thanks for the tip. And he also shouted out to the controller, kudos to the controller that got me there. He was very patient because it wasn't until, quote, three o'clock and one and a half miles, close quote, that I spotted the runway. Now I have a dead cow hat and T-shirt, and hopefully people will ask me about them. Uh, you know, it's a continuation of what Jeb was just talking about. Uh, this is a little uh, little 2,500-foot strip stuck in, a, uh, in, in the middle of an industrial area about two miles from the center of Eisenhower Airport, uh, formerly known as Mid-Continent. And... Uh, it, and it's not the easiest piece of uh, runway to spot uh, in the world out there. Uh, it reminds me of a bunch of other places like Jackson, Mississippi and uh, and uh, Addison, Texas, where until you get lined up right and looking exactly at the right spot, you can't tell it from you can't tell the runway from the, the streets nearby. Then, man, good for you. Wisconsin to New Mexico in a Skyhawk. That's. That's a great GA adventure. Yeah, that's what it's all about. Yeah, yeah. So it's right. Way to go, Steve, and thanks for the note. Yeah. Jeb, you've landed at Dead Cow. I mean, I'm not going to ask David because I know he's landed there a lot of times, but Jeb, you've only landed there a few times. What 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 was your experience? I've landed there, I don't know, three or four times. Dave probably has a better memory of that than I do. Uh, my experience was pretty much the same as, as our listeners. Um, always had, you know, a uh, great, uh, great experience there. Fuel was generally cheap. Um, um, they take check for fuel. Uh, it's all good, you know. <laughs> um, well, and, and my buddy Earl, the leprechaun, is just the kind of guy that Jeb was talking about in Jamie Hildenbrandt. They go out of his way, put in extra time, undercharged for people that are in a jam like Jeb was. Uh, it, it's a great community. I don't understand why people... Uh, don't flock to it more, but I think that's probably because they just don't know how good it is. That's right. That's well, right. It, it's one of the best kept secrets out there. Yeah. So there you yes, go. Uh, uh, thanks to uh, listener Steve for uh, for uh, checking in and telling us about his experience and for uh, and if you're not in the Albany area and can't get to uh, to Hilt Aviation, check out uh, uh, Dead Cow, uh, which is actually called what, Je- uh, David? What's the code for a Dead Cow? Well, uh, uh, Westport. Uh, Westport Airport is how you'll find it, and I believe the uh, the designator is seventy one kilo. There you go. Very cool. Yeah, I, I've been there once. I didn't land there, but we when we were out there visiting, um, we we drove over and and visited with the leprechaun and, and checked out the airplanes park there. It's a cool little airport. I liked it a lot. I liked it a lot. Let's see now. I've got one other shout-out here, and then we'll see if you guys have any more. Um, this is a shout-out to a, another good pal of the podcast, Craig Barnett of Scheme Designers, um, who I, I wanted to say hi to when we were in Sun and Fun, but he's a busy guy these days. He's a real busy guy these days. And every time I wandered by his booth, he was off doing something else. But uh, uh, Scheme Designers is uh, is one of the most uh, well-known and successful uh, paint scheme design firms for, for aircraft. And uh, and there's a really nice uh, article written by Avweb uh, in by Rick Durden, and it's in uh, on the Avweb website um, about Craig and his business and the history and and how he got where he is, and and it's just a very nice story, and uh, I enjoyed it. And you know, we've referred to Craig over the years and had Craig on the podcast a handful of times. And if you wanted to find out more about Craig and or his business, I urge you to find this uh, story on on the Avweb website. 
So, have you guys seen this story, this article? You guys probably know everything. I, I, oh, yeah. 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 I, I, uh, I, I knew some of the things that are in this article, but some of it was new to, new to me. And uh, um, he's just doing he, – and he's, he designs paint schemes for airplanes large and small or inexpensive oh, yeah. and very expensive, I should say. And, uh, um, you know, some really nice he's work. Done paint schemes for the, he's done paint schemes for the OEMs that build airplanes. He's done them for the airlines. uh for individuals that want their airplane to stick out. Uh, and uh, it's a very complex technical business that he's in because his painting instructions get down to the inch of an inch of where yeah. a stripe should start and stop. And that's one of the things take I into learned. account the size of the control surfaces and everything. Yeah, that's one of the things I learned from this article that I didn't really realize is the extent to which Craig and his people have, have worked with the painting in the, the the paint industry, the the paint shops, to uh, uh, make the uh, the application of the paint much more precise so that you get exactly what the spec calls for um, and make it less expensive as well um, a lot of interesting techniques that craig and his people have come up with uh to uh to uh, you know just improve the whole process so uh, check out this article it's pretty cool i'm sorry david you were going to say something nope nope okay good. that's it any other shout outs you guys anything else here uh one real quick Jeb, uh, in addition to in addition to jamie hilden bringing up at albany the entire staff at the millionaire fbo in albany new york uh, we're great people to get to know. Um, let us, uh, buddy of mine and I, hang out in their lobby for hours and did a bunch of networking and and uh, all that kind of thing. Again, they're just really great sports and and uh, uh, pleasure to get to know them also. Very nice, very nice, David. Anything? And else? I got 30, 30 seconds. Go ahead. Happy fortieth birthday to the Aviation Safety Reporting System, uh, NASA's uh, publication callback. Uh, Issue 435 is out. They started uh, 40 years ago. Can you believe this? Yikes. And uh, it's been a staple since 1976 for pilots that want to see, want to learn from other people's mistakes or who want to get a jail, out of jail free card for a mistake they made themselves. So if you're not familiar with the ASRS, I highly encourage you to educate yourself because it's a useful learning tool. And it can be a helpful tool when uh, you're expecting one of those certified registered letters from our folks at the FAA. Yeah, very nice, very nice. This this has been another edition of what Dave said. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Well, thank Thank you, boys. I appreciate your uh, taking the time, and I appreciate your patience and your perseverance here. Um, (laughs) I I would also like to... I would also, instead of a shout out, maybe a, a I don't know what the what a podcast uh, bag would be. A, a blog bag is a blag. I don't, maybe a plague or whatever. A plog. Um, can anybody recommend an alternative to Skype? Yeah, really. I tell you, listeners, uh, listeners, uh, hearing us uh, struggle with telephone connections here—that's just the tip of the iceberg of the difficulties involved in producing this episode. It's been a handful. I'll tell you, it's taken us like two days, and uh, it's been a thing. But uh, I, I thank you two guys for being patient and, and persevering, and uh, I think it's okay. So, uh, Dave Higgins. Hey, episode four. Episode four hundred was a flight in the in the park compared to today. It kind of was. It kind of was. This was a challenge. Dave Higdon is an aviation photographer and aviation journalist and the U.S. editor for London's Ab Buyer magazine. David, you've been working on anything fun? What are you writing about? 
Well, uh, my Friday business aviation blog today on avbuyer.com looks at uh, two safety efforts in the uh, in the community that are celebrating anniversaries, ASRS and, uh, and Callback, as I just mentioned, uh, their 40th. And uh, this year will be the 20th uh, Bombardier Safety Standdown which you boys are both familiar with. Yeah. But it is one of the most amazing four days of uh, human factors and hands-on learning uh, that you could ever get. And it is worth way more than you have to pay for it because it's free. It's free. All you got to do is get yourself there, pay for your hotel room and meals. Uh, They're not opening up sign up just yet, but they will uh, here in another few weeks. And, uh, you don't have to be a corporate pilot, although that's very much uh, uh, evident in the focus. Uh, but as you sit through those sessions, you find out that what applies to those guys flying turbine jets and turboprops equally applies to us guys down in the non-oxygen required territory. So congratulations to both programs. They're great use for it. Very nice. Very nice. David, where can people find out about you and the things you're doing on the Internet? Uh, avbuyer.com, uh, aea.net, uh, where, where I write for avionics news, uh, uh, or if you into nostalgia and want to see what some of the stuff I did years ago, you can, uh, do a Google search for Dave Higdon and aviation. And that way you'll eliminate the golf writer and the theoretical physicist. There you go. On Dave, Twitter, Dave Higdon. And on Twitter, you're uh, real Higdon. Real Higdon. Real That's Higdon. the real deal. That's right. And Jeb, Jeb Burnside is a freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. What have you been working on, Jeb? Uh, aviation Safety Magazine, uh, getting ready to, to do um, the uh, June 2016 issue, which will be starting my 13th year as, as uh, that publication's editor. Very cool. Uh, which I don't think I've done every, anything except breathe for 13 years. I know. Straight. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> So that's that's something of a a head-scratcher even for me. Uh, But uh, getting ready to to knock that out, um, going to the Aircraft Electronics Association annual meeting uh, starting next week in uh, in Orlando, uh, doing some coverage for them. You can read that or read more about uh, AEA on on AEA.net. Obviously, uh, check out... uh, 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 AIN's convention news coverage for some of my stuff, and uh, I'm also just finishing up a column for GANews.com. Uh, so uh, um, my fingers are getting sore, but uh, the words are starting to flow again. There you go. Um, <laughs> did, did you say out loud the uh, safety uh, URL? What was it? Aviation? Oh, AviationSafetyMagazine.com. There you go. And on Twitter, you are? Burnside J. Burnside J. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, where I am Jack Hodgson, and uh, learn more than you really ever really wanted to know about me at jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net. Hey, big thanks to uh, to a lot of different people who help us out with this. Thanks to Jeff Ward for his help with the show notes and in the forums. Forums are starting to come back again. Uh, they've been slow for a while, and they're slowly starting to have more and more activity. You should check out the forums. Big thanks, as we said earlier, to Mike Morgan, also to Royce Earl, to Jim Goldman, and to the many other listeners who have created the UCAP disclaimer clips over the years. 
Please support UCAP by making a repeating per-episode donation of any size via the online service Patreon. You can get all the details about this at patreon.com slash uncontrolledairspace. And while you're at it, please go into iTunes uh, and give us a review there in iTunes. It really does help. And you can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash class G airspace. That's class, the letter G, and then airspace, all one word. Uh, You never know what might turn up there. You can also listen to uh, UCAP in the free section of Sporty's Pilot Shop's mobile app, Takeoff, along with other podcasts and special Sporty's content. Uh, get your UCAP hats, shirts, and other cool gear at the UCAP Swag Shop at uncontrolledairspace.com slash store. And don't forget to check out the rest of the UCAP website. Ten years worth of UCAP show notes and episode downloads. And last but not least, chat with us directly and with many of your fellow listeners in the Uncontrolled Airspace forums. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, are you going to tell us something? Live long, be happy, and go fly, because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Bye-bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. I just want to thank both of our listeners for sticking with us. (laughs) 